Appreciate those good songs. Appreciate the good spirit of the Lord in our service tonight. So grateful for His presence. And uh, I'm thankful that the time that we've been here, that the clock has not moved one bit. <laughs> time is standing still. And that means I can preach as long as I want to, right? I'm not going to know when to quit. That's dangerous. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah chapter 6. I had at one point thought that we might preach the entirety of this chapter as we did the last one. And I was leaning towards not doing that. And now that I know that the clock is not moving, I'm definitely not going to try to preach the whole chapter. I will get myself in a lot of trouble. I just want you to know that I am not responsible for how long I preach tonight. I'm blaming it on whoever was supposed to change the clock battery. <laughs> oh, Brother Gary's taking responsibility for that. I was only kidding. Um, we're ha we're, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting who said it, uh, to testified this uh, evening, what they said about not wanting to be in a hurry. I think it maybe it was Brother Alex, our time with God, and, and certainly we don't want to do that. We don't want to get in too big of a hurry. I understand that, that there's only so much we can take, and I don't want to exceed that, but certainly I don't want to hurry the presence of God. And if he's here, I think we can take a lot more. And so... Uh, trusting the Lord will help us. Uh, but let's look together the first eight verses of Zechariah chapter 6 together. Let's stand as we um, look at this vision. The vision of the four chariots. And I looked and, or, and I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of brass. And in the first chariot were red horses. And in the second chariot, black horses. And in the third chariot, white horses. And in the fourth chariot, grizzled and bay horses. And I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens, which are go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses which are therein go forth into the north country, and to the white go forth after them, and the grizzled go forth toward the south country. And the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And he said, Go ye hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they all walked to and fro through the earth. Then cried he upon uh, me and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country, have quieted my spirit in the north country. Father, so oftentimes when we read words like this, they, we don't understand them and we skip over them, try to find passage that perhaps will speak to us. But Lord, I'm asking that you would open up this word that was given first to Zechariah, open it up to us that we might be able to 
have your voice speak to us as you spoke to him. May the prayer of our heart, whenever we read scripture that we don't understand, Lord, what mean this? And Lord, may we have ears to hear and a heart that's willing to obey. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. It amazes me how much people like prophecy. I mean, I, if, I were to, if we were to have a convention, if we were going to have a prophecy uh, seminar, I suppose we could pack this church out. We might even break our record attendance. If I was going to have all my charts and graphs and everything like that, I mean, we, I mean, we could pull from other churches, even, uh, not even holiness churches. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen. What amazes me is even people who aren't saved, people who, who don't know the Lord, they're all interested in prophecy too. I, I have loved ones, I have family members that, that they have read many, if not all, of the Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series. They don't know the Lord, they're, they're not wanting to go to church, they don't, they don't want to change their lives, they are just interested in knowing what's going to happen. And I think to myself, why in the world would you be interested in knowing what the wrath of God being poured out on you is going to be like if you're not interested in making a change? I mean, you know, it'd be, it'd be awful silly... Really, isn't that just silly in, in, in your thinking that I want to know what God's going to do and I, I want to I know how, he, how he's going to punish me. I wanna, I, I'm really excited about that even though I'm not planning to make any changes so it won't happen. I mean, that's like the defiant child who you tell them they're going to get a whooping if they do it and they just walk right over and do it right in front of you. I mean, you look at that kid and say, what planet did you fall off from? Or like I'd like to say, quit taking after your mother. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what kind of, uh, really, that's foolishness that, that's bound up in the heart of a child. And yet, here we have full-grown adults, maybe even grandparents, that are willing to, to read even the book of Revelation to, he listened to people talk about their charts and their graphs and, and the wrath of God, and they're willing to listen to it and then go out and still continue to sin like they always have, like that defiant child who refuses to obey. Seems silly, doesn't it? There is, there is a, a, a fascination, like a moth to flame, with the prophecies of the Bible. And if you ask... I, and you would do a poll in the, in the world, they would tell you that, that, ver, that the favorite book is the book of Revelations, if you just ask anybody in the world. And you could ask a lot of people in the church world, and that seems to be their favorite book, and they're fascinated by it. But Scripture, and especially prophecies, are not given to us to speculate about the future, they are supposed to bring us into submission to the Savior. It's not about satisfying our curiosity, but helping us to submit ourselves to Christ. And if prophecy 
does not lead us to a more careful walk with God, then we have missed the point. And I know that I will never be a world-renowned author on the subject of prophecy because I refuse to tell you how it's all going to happen. I mean, you ha- there's radio programs, and they'll go through the day's news and tell you how it fits with that prophecy. I want you to know that the vast majority of that stuff is just hogwash. They're selling snake oil. They don't know what they're talking about. They're taking the, well, this is what they're doing, folks. They're taking the news and they're trying to get it to fit some passage somewhere. And there is no understanding of what God is trying to do. They're trying to force the current events into their theology. And that's always dangerous. It's always dangerous. I'm not saying you can't listen to them once in a while, but you should listen to it for entertainment value, not for the gospel, because there's not much gospel in what they're doing. A lot of what they do is they try to give us a spirit of fear, and the scripture tells us that, that he gives us this scripture so that we will, our spirits will not be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. And yet the, those that, that have successfully monopolized and monetized prophecy. They're not trying to calm spirits. They're not trying to bring peace. They're trying to trouble hearts. And that tells me that they've got the wrong motives for what they're doing. They say, wow, that's pretty pretty harsh, Pastor. Well, when Jesus says his motive, when Paul says his motive is is so that our hearts would not be troubled, and and they're troubling hearts, tells me that they don't have the same motive of Christ. They don't have the same motive as the Apostle Paul. And so I have to say to within myself, this does not pass the sniff test. Just doesn't pass the test. Something smells funky, and I don't think that it's worth consuming. You don't have to agree with me. You can say that that's your opinion, preacher, and that's fine. I'm just trying on the basis of God's word. God did not give us a spirit of fear. And if, if, you're, if someone is a fear monger, then that person is not giving us the spirit of God. And so we have here a prophecy that's given to Zechariah, a prophecy that, that is... That is for us today. It's a, a, script, a prophecy that, that is and partially has been fulfilled, but has not been completely fulfilled. And one of the things that, before I get back into it, I love that Zechariah got back to asking, What means the, this Lord? Man, last week he didn't ask, and that left us with all sorts of speculation. But, but thankfully, Zechariah asked, and now we have a little better understanding. We have here a, a picture, he, a vision, that, uh, and here is two mountains. Two mountains that are standing there, and, and there's a valley in between. And many uh, believe that, that this is the, the valley of Jehoshaphat, which means the valley of, uh, of judgment. It's the valley of judgment. Uh, Kidron, I believe, is, is uh, another name for this valley. Brass is, is often represented 
in the, the Old Testament especially as a, as a, a, a precursor, as, as a warning to us to help us to understand that this is judgment. That judgment is going to happen. You remember when uh, back in, uh, in Moses' day and, and the people had, had once again ignited the wrath of God and God had sent serpents and they were, they were poisoning them and, and Moses lifted up a bronze serpent in the wilderness saying that this would be the judgment of God and if they could look to that if they'd look to that bronze serpent, that that would be a, 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 the cure for the poison. And Jesus said for himself that he, just as Moses lifted up the, the serpent in the wilderness, so also shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus was pointing back to that bronze serpent, and he was saying, I am the bronze serpent. I am going to take upon the world of sin and their judgment, the judgment that in wrath of God that, that belongs to mankind, I'm taking it upon myself. You would find also, if you'd go into the temple, there was the, the, the bronze basin, which the, the, they were supposed to cleanse their hands. There would also, you would find that the altar was made also of bronze, where the, the sacrifice would be slain. Bronze throughout the Old Testament was a symbol of the judgment of God. And, and here we have uh, two mountains made of brass. Now, I, some have speculated about the mountains and, and the valley and but I think that really what's important here is that when, uh, we, when we remember what Joseph said that to Pharaoh, he says, God gave you that two dreams to say that it's established in heaven. I'm not, God's not changing his mind. And I believe that, this is, uh, that God is saying here that this is settled in heaven. This is what's going to happen. The judgment of God is going to happen. And so it progresses, and, and now there's, there's four chariots, and these chariots all have different colored horses, and, and certainly everyone has their theories about what the different horses mean. I don't know exactly what they all mean. I'm sure the black horses probably mean death, and, and probably the red ones probably mean uh, uh, you know, blood, or I don't, I, but I don't know. There, there's all sorts of speculation. There, I'm sure God had a reason for telling us why. But I think what's important for us to recognize is that these are modern weapons of war. The chariot was the most feared instrument of battle in that day. I don't know what would be a good representation for us today. Perhaps an Abrams tank. Four tanks. Maybe that would be a picture I think probably a better uh, representation might even be uh, the stealth bombers where the enemy cannot detect them. They cannot prevent them from bombing their facilities. All they can do is hope to shoot blindly. I once knew a man who, who uh, it was, uh, he had a private contract with the, with the government, him and his, his little company, and they were working on, on keeping the uh, airplane stealth. And he says that, when the stealth uh, paint job is done correctly, when everything is as it should be, 
that a stealth bomber will have the same radar signature as a mosquito. Well, how are you going to pick that out? But he says what would happen is that we would, that in flight, damage would be done to that paint job and then it would, then it would make that larger and, and would then be recognizable by the enemy. That's modern technology, uh, a, a weapon to be feared by all the nations. And what God is saying here is, these are the angels of God, the spirits of heaven, and they are going forth out for war. And the judgment of God is going to fall. And so as the Lord begins to explain this, this uh this uh, vision, he, said, he says that the uh, black horses are going north. Where are they, why are they going north? Well, in prophecy, oftentimes, Babylon is represented as being a north country. Now, they didn't, they're not technically north. They are actually to the east. But what they did is they... When they uh, conquered Jerusalem, they went up through the north and came down. And so oftentimes Babylon is represented as the north. And God is saying that these, these horses are going to come and bring judgment on the Babylonians for what they have done to God's people. Now you might say, wait a minute, that's not fair. They were doing what God wanted them to do. God wanted them to, to conquer. God, God, God is the one who orchestrated this. Don't you remember the prophets were all saying this was going to happen? Weren't they just doing what God willed for them to do? There is a difference between doing what God commands us to do in righteousness and what He permits us to do in wickedness. And Babylon, was what they did was in God's will, but it was not in righteousness. It was done in wickedness. And even if we do something that is within God's will, that's done in wickedness, it is still sin. Let me give you another example. Maybe this might help us. Judas, when he went out and he betrayed our Lord, Jesus said to him before, Whatsoever you do, do quickly. That almost sounds like God, uh, uh, that Jesus has given him permission, doesn't it? Not only is he saying do it, he says do it quickly. Don't be dawdling around about this thing. Does that mean that Judas didn't sin when he betrayed Jesus? No, that's not what it means. It means even though you do in wickedness what God's will is, you are still responsible for the wickedness. But if what we do is in righteousness, and what we do is, is with a pure heart, you know, we can actually, and I do believe this, that we can get outside of God's will by accident, but doing so in righteousness and in holiness, and God still counts it as righteousness for us because we've done so in ignorance. But we've done it in holiness when we were talking the other Sunday about the sins of ignorance. 
and about those, that, that need for continual cleansing that 1 John teaches us about. That we can do something outside of His will, but doing so in righteousness. Walking in the light. Walking in what we know. But Babylon has, has done what, what was wicked, but has done it within God's will, and still it grieved God that they did what they did. And God was sending judgment. Some of the horses go south. Some, and we're not sure where all, all the details of all the horses. But, but I believe that really these are the four points of a compass. And what God is saying to us is this. That God's judgment is going to go over all the earth. There will be no place in the entire world where God's judgment will not fall. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelations that the rulers and the people, when that great and terrible day, they're going to go to the mountains and to the rocks and, and plead with them to cover them up and hide them from the presence of Almighty God in fear and terror of His wrath. The whole earth will face the judgment of God. Thank God, thank God that He provided a means of escaping the judgment through His Son. But the whole earth faces that judgment. Some of us have, have the blood applied, and when we have the blood applied, we don't have to be afraid. But we can know that our Redeemer not only does he live, but he is keeping us against that day. Praise the Lord. What does this mean to us? What is this, why, is this, why is this vision important to us? I believe there's really two thoughts that are really important. First of all, that if we don't know God, his wrath should terrify us. His wrath should terrify us. I don't know that I have ever experienced the true wrath of God. In fact, I really believe I never have experienced it. In fact, I would say I have never seen the wrath of God on any one person truly unleashed. Perhaps some here can say that you know somebody that it seemed like God just uncorked his wrath. But, but it seems to me that God has been patient. And even those that that we would say, Lord, how, how long? How long are you going to allow them to sin? How long are you going to allow them to hurt God's people? How long are you going to allow them to conduct themselves in such a way? How long, God? And yet God just continues to wait. In fact, in Revelations, that there, that some of those uh, will cry out to God and say, How long? If I'm remembering correctly, it was the martyr that'll ask, how long are you going to allow those that martyred us to go free? How long? And I sometimes I feel that way. Lord, how long? But we should, if we don't know the Lord, if, if we aren't ready, we need to be terrified. I said that, that if you're preaching prophecy, that, that it should, it, it should uh, not trouble our hearts, but it's only if we are not saved, then maybe it should. 
God gives us this vision to bring us into the submission of our will to Christ. You don't say to a child, if you do that, you're going to get punished as a gag. You don't say it as a, you know, we're just goofing around. When you say, if you do that again, there's going to be consequences. You're going to experience the wrath of your parent. We might not say it quite that way. The idea is that we're saying it to that child so it'll rest their attention. And they will say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to face the consequences that my mom or my dad just spelled out. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to straighten up. Now some kids are a little harder headed than others. And we won't have anyone confess which side you were on. But God gives us ample warning in His Word that the wrath of God is going to come. And you know what? You can, you can look at the surveys. You can, you can look at those who run the polls and you know what they'll say? Almost everybody believes in heaven, but almost nobody believes in hell. Why would God be telling the truth about one place and telling a lie about the other? It doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I, I appreciate it when, a, when a, a, a parent or a teacher, when they say to a child, if you do well, you're going to be rewarded, and if you do wrong, you'll be punished. I, I think there's good logic in that. I know some parents don't like to reward their kids for being good, but, but you know, if we, don't, if we don't look for it, sometimes all we can see is the bad as parents. Sometimes... Sometimes, we, you know, we think, man, we, our kids are just terrible. And somebody will walk up to us and say, man, your kids were so good today in church. And you're like, huh? About half killed them. I was just waiting to get home to strangle them. What are you talking about they were so good in church? But you heard every movement. You saw every, you saw every little misbehavior. And yet, because, you know why? Because we're programmed to see the negative. And yet, we are also programmed to expect only the good things to come from God. I don't understand it. We are so messed up. We really are. And we have to, we have to train ourselves as parents and, and as teachers and, and, and anyone who has responsibility for children. We have to program ourselves to see the good. It's imperative. Our kids need to know that they're doing right. And my kids probably are wanting to say amen real bad right now. And they're hold, doing good restraint. Good job, kids. I saw the good. <laughs> God's got a great, wonderful blessing for us if we're willing to submit to Him. But His wrath is something to be terrified and to be avoided if we're not willing to submit to Him. And the and the greatness of man's military, the greatness of our weapons, all will come to naught against the mighty hand of God. And every ruler, and every woman, and every man, and every boy, and every girl is going to kneel and say, hey, he, he, 
is Lord. And we can either do it now or we can do it then. And so there is something to be terrified. It's a terror to not be in submission for God is going to bring His wrath. But I believe also to the Christian, I believe it's a comfort because we know that God is going to bring judgment on those that have harmed us. That God is one day going to right every wrong. I don't know exactly how you, can feel, how you feel about that. There's a part of me that, uh, as, as a saved and sanctified person, I don't want anybody to experience the wrath of God. And I, and I believe that Jesus did teach us very well when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as he was dying on a cross. And I believe that is, should be the prayer of God's people. But I also recognize that there is a, a, a comfort in knowing that God is going to take an account of all that has been done and He's going to right every wrong. And I don't know exactly how He's going to do it. I don't know if it'll be in this life or if it'll be in the next life. I don't know if God is going to... to to do, uh, uh, pour out a blessing uh, uh, in this world to make up for what we've lost or if we'll wait, have to wait for the world to come. But whatever the case is, we can rest assured that God will make it right. I believe that with all my heart. And that's a comfort. God sees what they, that person has done. God knows. He understands. And God is saying to us, children, just hold on. Don't take things into your own hands. You don't, have to, you don't have to make it right yourself. You just let me handle it. And do you know what I find? I find that God is a perfect judge. And he makes no mistakes. Our judicial system may be the best one in the world. I don't, I don't know. I've heard that it is. But you know, there have been people that have been exonerated with DNA evidence. Our legal system failed them. Someone went to prison for murder or, or some other terrible crime that they, they didn't commit and the, and the true guilty person didn't have to face the consequences. And I think, oh, that's terrible to have to sit in prison for years and years and years for a crime you didn't do. I, 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 just, I can't imagine. I think that would have to be one of the most horrible things to have to experience. Knowing the whole while that you're innocent, and no matter who you say to, no matter who you tell you're innocent, they just laugh and say, we've heard that before. Our judicial system gets it wrong sometimes. But I want you to know the righteous judge of all the earth won't get it wrong even once. He won't get it wrong even once. And you know, sometimes the, the punishment of this world, it doesn't fit the crime. We, you know, we, we, uh, I've heard of, of people who, who have uh, assaulted, sexually assaulted women, and they get off with hardly anything, maybe a little bit of parole, and some go to prison for years and years and years, and they go, where's the justice? 
How does that make any sense? How does this one get off and, and not have to face any consequences and this one goes to jail for years and years and years? Read about a man not too long ago that he went to jail for life without possibility of parole for stealing just a few dollars out of a, a cash register. But he had broken the three strikes rule. And so for life, he's going to, to be in prison unless the governor or someone will, will t take a look at his case and change it for stealing just a few dollars. Did the punishment fit the crime? Probably not. We get it wrong sometimes. And you know what? I remember when I was in the world and I would take vengeance for what was done to me. Oftentimes my vengeance was far greater than what was deserved. You know, we want, when somebody wants to, when someone hurts us, we want to hurt them 10 or 100 times what they ever hurt us. We want to hurt them so bad that they'll never do it again. And we're not good judges. We're just not. Especially when carnality controls the heart. But I want you to know that our, our God is a perfect judge. And the world says, well, how can a perfect judge send someone to hell for all of eternity? How is an eternal punishment for an earthly sin? How is that, how is that fair? How is that right? You know how it's right? It's because that the punishment was known before you were found guilty. You had opportunity to take care of it first. And there's some, I don't totally understand. I don't know why God doesn't just destroy their soul. I, I assume that he has the power to do that. He can do anything. But he has chosen that this is the punishment that fits the crime of sin. And I don't totally understand it, and I can't, can't go into a, a long theological uh, conversation about that, but this I know, that once the, it has been said, this is the consequence, it's what it is. And we, have, and we go into it knowing full well the consequence and that's foolish. If we know the consequence in advance, then we know it's eternal punishment. It's foolish. It's foolish to say, I'm willing to take it. But our God is a righteous judge, and the consequences fit the crime. And he always judges fairly and rightly, and that's a comfort to his people. We don't like to talk about God being a just God or a God of judgment anymore. read an article today that the Ethiopian church, thank God for them, they're taking a stand against the LGBTQ marriages that are going on un, uh, illegally, but under uh, the being ignored by the the government of Ethiopia because 
they don't want to lose aid from us. And so they're just kind of ignoring it. And there were people that were, that were posting, you know, Jesus said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Well, he sure said that, but then he said, go and sin no more. We only pick and choose what we want to hear. And I'm thankful that it's not my job to throw the stone. But it is my job to go and sin no more. And this prophecy, this prophecy of, of judgment over all the earth, if we don't know the Lord, it's a terror. But if we do know the Lord, it's a comfort. And I trust this evening that you are comforted by the message that God, the righteous judge of all the earth, He is going to judge this world fairly and rightly. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen.